Hello, welcome to another edition of Crop Life Retail Week. I'm Eric Silvoy, editor of Crop Life and Crop Life Iron Magazines. Here again, as has been the case all year, with Miss Laura Sawinski from Texas. Laura, welcome back to the program. From Texas? <laughs> I'm no longer from California anymore. <laughs> well, you're living in Texas now, and based on your, your uh, rather <laughs> heavier garb on top there, it must be a little chilly, probably, oh, I don't know, 71, 72 degrees. Burr. Yeah, maybe 80, 81. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's good to be back. Good, 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 good. Well, hey, so for those of us, uh, those viewers who may have been with us last week, I know I teased that myself and uh, one of my co-workers, Eric Davis, uh, we're going to be attending the uh, CPDA conference. It's the Council of Producers and Distributors of Agrotechnology. And they had their meeting on adjuvants, inerts, and crop protection this week uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. That took place on May 1st through the 3rd. And again, lots of good information came out of that meeting. About a little more than 300 people attended. Uh, sessions were well attended. Speakers were very engaging, very interesting panels. Um, but I have a couple of video clips to share from a few folks that our viewers may know. First up, of course, was Jay Vril. For those of us who've been in the industry for any length of time, we remember Jay uh, during his long stint as the head of Crop Life America. Uh, Jay retired and about 48 hours later began an advisory role to a lot of people in the ag industry and is continuing to do so. He's now the CPDA advisor as well. Uh, and here in this video clip, he was talking about trade, um, but at the beginning of the clip, he pointed out an uh, interesting fact uh, that in his mind, a lot of the problems that we're having in agriculture all tie back to what's been going on in the European Union. So here's Jay's clip on that. I think uh, the European Union is responsible for enabling this expansion of power like shine. Uh, and by that, I mean, because they've adopted uh, what they first started calling the precautionary principle uh, in the 80s, and now have expanded it to be a risk-only kind of regulatory scheme, it has underlined the public confidence and risk assessment as the driver for looking at new technologies, especially in food and agriculture, but it goes way beyond us in food and agriculture. And it's torn down the public credibility and confidence in the risk assessment base, approvals of technology and assurance that those technologies can be safe and effective. Uh, with an admission that, you know, risk assessment does get it wrong from time to time, but we come through those periods and get stronger with regard to our risk assessment. And instead, the European Union has been tearing, tearing away at the integrity of risk assessment using this has and only approach. And the Chinese have used that to our disadvantage, to Europe's disadvantage, and to their advantage, as have other regimes around the world. And frankly, it's the reason that uh, we had this threat of losing GMO exports of corn to Mexico. And that's what Jay Vroom had to say about uh, the European Union and uh, why we find ourselves uh, in the state we are in when it comes to the folks in the general public trusting or not trusting science when it comes to products that we actually use in the marketplace. 
Um, one other speaker, Laura, was actually the last speaker at the event, was Dr. Kevin Crosby, and he's with Adjuvants Unlimited. Um, and I've got two clips from him. In this first clip, he was talking a little bit about the Neo-Malthusians. Uh, you know, and of course, Malthus was a gentleman I learned about in school, basically said by the year 2000 that, uh, you know, the world was going to run out of resources, population crash. There'd be billions dead around the globe. Everything was headed for ruin if we didn't change our ways. Of course, we're 23 years past the year 2000, but apparently there is a new group of people that believe Malthus was correct and think that things that we do in agriculture should go away, in particular fertilizer usage. So in this first clip, uh, Dr. Crosby was talking about um, a proposal to get rid of rice because it's a little more carbon intensive than other crops and also pointed out what happened recently in Sri Lanka when they actually did try to get rid of fertilizer and the end result of what happened with some of their major crops. So here's that clip. And rice is the poster child in this uh, uh, area. Uh, alternate production practices show promise, but there are calls for a ban on rice production. So sudden changes and agronomists could be catastrophic. Sri Lanka had already mentioned the following world bank and brief suggestions the government mandated organic crop productions with a one-year phase in. Predictably, rice and tea production collapsed. There was a ban on uh, pesticides. Oh, tea is the number one export crop. Oh, we can't export it because it's got fungus growing on it. Oh, geez, what was made? Um, the resulting food riots threw the government out of office and restored fertilizer use. I believe the president was last seen heading for the airport with suitcases stuffed with cash of this. <laughs> so I propose that these restrictions on end use are misplaced. Reduce yields will lead to less food, more hunger, adverse effect on world populations. I consider this immoral and evil. That is this big voice on us and from this approach. It's, it's evil. The technology pessimists have been shown to be wrong for over 200 years. It's imperative that our industry provide positive, technology-driven, yield-preserving solutions before we get dumped in advance. Uh, one of our speakers uh, the other day said, we can't say no to science. I'm not saying no to science. I'm saying no to stupid policy. So, and I believe science will help solve this problem. So that's what Dr. Crosby had to say regarding fertilizer usage and the uh, an effort by these folks to get rid of rice growing. I know myself, Laura, I don't know about you, but if I go to Chipotle, I mean, just putting beans and meat at the bottom of a bowl doesn't, doesn't cut it. I got to have a base of rice. Uh, otherwise, it just doesn't have the right consistency, flavor, or doesn't really hang together very well. So I would, I would really miss rice if they got rid of it. I'm sure there's a lot of people around the globe that would agree with me. Have you ever tried quinoa? I have. <laughs> Actually, told by one of our one of our persons in the industry that quinoa is from the same family as lamb's quarter, which is a weed. So, uh, but yes, I have had quinoa. Um, it, I don't know if that's on the hit list or not. It, uh, Dr. Crosby didn't mention that. But anyhow, <laughs> the second clip I have of Dr. Crosby is uh, you know. After he'd set up all these uh, threats to our industry, uh, fertilizer usage, different crops being done away with, if you will, um, he actually had a call to action. 
which I thought was very important to share with our viewers. So here you go. I'm proposing a call to action to the CPDA and our affiliated uh, industry-wide partners. I propose an industry-wide coalition, CPDA, ARA, Fermizer Institute, corn growers, and other industry-related groups should come in by the end of the decade to achieve a 90% reduction of off-site movement of applied and fertilizer. This includes gaseous, uh, nectar dioxides, and water-soluble nitrate losses. I think this is something we could achieve. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take some money investment, but I think uh, I think it's some, it's worthwhile. It's worth our time. This will entail large-scale adoption of existing technologies and development of new products. Economic costs and benefits need to be studied to ensure which system that makes sense. That was Dr. Crosby's call to action to the industry and all the trade groups that represented, and also anyone who's involved in agriculture. That by 2030, he would love to see a united front on, um, you know, improving fertilizer usage and, uh, you know, basically reducing fertilizer usage, uh, as he said before, regulators then step in and force the industry's hand. So, well, I think we should rename this this program to the doing Bloom Gang. <laughs> yes, I guess you have some yeah, good news to share as well. Good, good <laughs> in quotation Yes, so please enlighten our viewers with happy news you have to share regarding transportation. Well, rail performance or poor rail for, uh, performance is the story that never ends, I think. Um, the latest update uh, in um, the Lodestar uh, this week um, is all about, <clears throat> excuse me, the American Chemistry Council um, has asked the Surface Transportation Board to uh, once again step in with regards to um, freight rail and service le levels. Um, the ACC, American Chemistry Council, has been surveying its members the last few years to really um, understand what the impact of poor rail performance has been. And, and you know, we know last year there were... Um, several months where the threat of a rail strike was hanging over our heads. We've had um, rail uh, de derailments, um, you know, this, this year. No, yeah. And so, um, you know, looking at what their uh, sur surveys are showing, um, and this is, again, a sizable industry group. Um, the most recent survey, which uh, looked at the uh, last half of 2022, found 93% of ACC respondents experienced impacts on their business from supply chain and transportation disruption, um, with rail being uh, the prominent um, problem there, with 36% of those respondents reporting that customers had canceled their orders due to cargo that would arrive late or not at all. Um, at the same time that rail performance is declining, of course, um, Freight rates are going up. Rail freight rates are going up as are um, profits for the big class one carriers. Um, the other thing that was in interesting again that uh, precision scheduled railroading um, that's been in the news the last couple years. Um, overall, an initiative to try and try and increase performance while simultaneously um, cutting out costs. A lot of 
criticism and that um, PSR really is being blamed um, in particular for the derailments we've seen the last um, last co- couple, three months here. Um, a, a good development on that front, uh, the CEO of CSX, Joe Hendricks, um, has come out and acknowledged that while um, PSR um, still is a is a good idea um, in terms of controlling costs um, and improving asset utilization. Uh, this is his quote: "In many ways, it didn't prioritize improving the employee experience and improving customer service." So, um, at least he's come out and said, "Hey, we acknowledge that there is a problem with it." Um, so, hopefully, there'll be some something there. I, you know, I think, you know, the. The thing is, I mean, unlike trucking, perhaps you have, you know, other options, other carriers, um, even, you know, there are other modes of transportation sometimes, but rail, you know, there's only, uh, you know, rail, rail is rail. It's not nimble. It's not fast. You have a handful of carriers. No. I, I, you know, some, sometimes it feels like, uh, you know, while the STB can get involved and, um, you know, there are some options for shippers, be they, um, you know, ag ship, shippers, coal, whatever. You know, it's 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 really tough. So I think it really has to come from within um, the rail freight industry itself to, um, you know, want to, you know, improve their image via uh, better performance and, and such. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, that's a story that, you know, we continue to, to follow, um, thus far, the good news is there are no, uh, nothing in the way of strikes or, um, self-imposed disruptions, if you will, but, uh, the ACC, certainly a sizable industry group. We'll see if, um, uh, they have any sway with the STB and what that might look, look like. So that's yeah. the latest from the... <laughs> The trade and tra- 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 transportation desk here, at least on the rail side. Well, and I know in the last few years, too, I know there have been several meetings held, I think, on Capitol Hill regarding, you know, I know the ag industry has been a little um, upset that the rail carriers in general, that, you know, they had to pick between ag products, grain, and, and, and or coal or some type of energy product that they almost always kind of, treat the agriculture like the red-headed stepchild, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like the situation is still not improved significantly. So, fingers crossed, maybe something will get better. But again, like you say, at least there's threat of strikes has gone away. At least. Yep. All right. Well, hey, one other thing to bring up. I know a couple of weeks ago I did an article for our online uh, e-newsletter talking about alternative uh, energy sources for uh, ag equipment. And I know I had focused in that article specifically on hydrogen power because, uh, again, we have a drone out there, a couple of them now that are hydrogen powered. And I know our friends at Agco Fent are working on hydrogen powered fuel cells for some of their equipment that's testing over in Europe. And um, we did find out, you know, a little bit more about that when we did a poll 
hydrogen power and renewable fuel sources seem to be the things that most folks in the industry believe will become more prominent uh, as we go forward, replacing some of the traditional fossil fuels that we've been using. But, um, and I know in that poll we did, uh, I asked about electric powered uh, vehicles and the percentage of folks that thought electric was going to be a a thing was in the single digits. I mean, I was surprised how low the number was, but I did run across an article this week that our friends at John Deere are hopeful they will have a fully autonomous electric tractor in the marketplace by 2026. So again, um, maybe electric may not be the most prominent early on, but it sounds like there are some rather large equipment makers that are indeed experimenting with that uh, power source and will continue to you know, move that uh, process forward as we go through the next couple of years. Yeah, that's... Um, at- I, I think um, I remember not that many years ago when hydrogen fuel cells cells were making um, their debut in the forklift sector, and there was a lot of excitement around that. I, and I think it's still a, a very exciting technology. But um, this John Deere news um, is intriguing to me because, you know, it's like anything... Um, you know the capacity to recharge. I mean, I, I mean, just like cars, right? The electric ve- vehicles. It's all it really comes down to the battery technology where where it's at. Um, so we'll see. I, uh, that will be interesting news to keep an eye on as well to see what they re- really come up with and is it a, a viable replacement, if you will, for what's out there currently uh do we have to compromise on power or charging time or or whatever or whether it's really going to be able to you know again kind of be a viable uh replacement so yeah yeah that's it and it's interesting too because in the car you know of course public sector of course electric cars are getting a lot of press recently and i know I've, i've heard a couple of radio stories talking about those and you know the 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 uh, availability of charging stations around one's route is a big issue. Um, and I guess those apps that you can get, you know, download to your phone, which will help out with finding charging stations. But, you know, in my mind, if you're looking at agricultural equipment, I mean, the charging station would be on site. This equipment's not going to be going, you know, a couple of fields over from its, its uh, you know, main base per se. So, well, the, the, the charging question, I think, would not be as big an issue finding a charging station. And it's like you said, it's the power okay. utilization and can it maintain horsepower, you know, reliably over the course of a work day. That you're right. That'll be the key to this being developed. But like I said, our friends at John Deere are working on it. And I'm sure in a few years, if you attend the, the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, maybe in 2027, they'll actually have a prototype there for you to check out. Yeah, just, you know, I was thinking too, um, as you were mentioning that um, Solenton Tech has a new robot that they introduced that has, um, it's basically like an inverted U and the top is just a solar panel. It's, you know, it's a solar powered um, robot for um, identifying in insects in the field and pests and, and such and so maybe the combination of 
you know, some something, you know, so, solar, um, electric, um, you know, I think maybe a, a hybrid solution would be, seems like it would make sense, but yeah, there's a lot happening in that space. Yeah. Good, good news item. Yeah, I, no, and I, happy yeah, one. <laughs> you talking about solar power, you know, checking out the insects, my mind of course went to science fiction, um, that <laughs> I read kid and I'm like, wouldn't it be neat if you not only could identify the insect, but if it's not a beneficial one that it could use the solar power to zap the thing, uh, but maybe that's just going too far. So. Little laser comes out. Exactly. But maybe that maybe that's a little too far afield. And given all the worry about AI these days, maybe empowering the drones to kill the insects actively may not be the best move. We'll see. All right. Well, on that note, let's dive into your favorite section. Time for fun with numbers. All right. Hey. What you got? All right, Miss Laura. Well, this video will be airing on uh, hopefully on Saturday if you're watching it. So you'll 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 appreciate at least one of the choices when I give you the number and options here for fun with numbers this week. So this week your number is as small a number as I ever remember having, counting negative numbers we've had on occasion. This number is two. Just the number two, not a percentage, not a dollar amount. Two. Okay? Got it. So, is two a the number of years Brazil has surpassed the U.S. in corn exports? Is it b the number of horses chemical producer Alba has in this weekend's Kentucky Derby? Is it C, the number of CPDA speakers that referenced Crop Life magazine? <laughs> or is it D, the number of shirts I ruined at the CPDA meeting eating too much marinara sauce dinners? <laughs> uh, this is a good one. Um, shoot. It, it almost could be any of them. But I'm going with C, the number of times Crop Life was mentioned. <laughs> You know, that is the one answer that is incorrect. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Dr. Dr. Conway, uh, he, or, or, or Crosby, I'm sorry, Dr. Crosby did hold up a copy of Crop Life and referenced a couple of articles and ads in the book, but only one was that. No, um, the correct answer that I was actually looking for is A, the number of years Brazil passed the U.S. in corn exports. One of the CPAs, DA speakers mentioned that that happened for only the second time in history in 2022. Um, they said the first time it happened was in 2012. So, you know, 10 years prior, uh, that year there was severe drought in the U S which kind of cut into production. And then Brazil was able to surpass the U S in corn production and export wow. last year. It said it was again, um, lower production in the U.S., but this this time they were bl blaming lower barge rain movement for the fact yeah. then, and again, with the low water levels on the Mississippi, right. we talked a lot about transportation issues. So that apparently uh, meant U.S. production fell 8.6%, and as a result, Brazil last year uh, exported more corn than we did in the U.S., so. Okay. And if you're interested, Aubaugh did tell me they have two horses in the Kentucky Derby. I know, I don't remember both names. One of them was Angel of Empire. 
So if you're watching this video on early on Kentucky Derby Day on May 6th, then uh, you can you'll have a horse to root for for that reason. If unless so Great. I, I haven't seen the odds, so maybe the odds aren't good. I don't know, but but there okay. yeah, I was told all by I had two horses in the Derby and another one or so that might be an alternate. So we'll see. Great. Well, let's put on our Derby hats and put some money down, shall we? Derby hats, huh? Boy, you you have a you have a you have a thing for hats. You want crop life hats. You want to know what baseball caps I'm wearing. If it's that, <laughs> I um okay. But I yeah, typically I don't bet the Derby just because I don't the Derby the Kentucky Derby is the first horse race I tend to follow each year, so I don't know a thing about any of the horses until Derby Day, and that's after that. Then I can like okay, yeah, maybe maybe in the Preakness or the Belmont, I'll, I'll give a, I'll, I'll put a $2 bet on a long shot just for yucks. But <laughs> yeah, I tend not to bet the Kentucky Derby because like I said, I don't know the horses beforehand. So yeah, if it's not named Seabiscuit, I'm not in. So, you know. <laughs> Boy, you weren't dating yourself, Tara. I no. would have gone to Secretariat, but all right, that's just me. <laughs> oh my. Well, all right. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this week's video and video clip. Thanks for joining us. On behalf of myself and everyone at Crop Life, see you again soon. If you have questions or comments about today's episode of Retail Week, contact us by email or Twitter or type your message in the comment section below. Your feedback is important to us. We will try our best to address your thoughts in next week's episode and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel.